This is Residence 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous, of course. Uh, I'm Nick Hennigan, and greetings, groovers, seekers of sophistication, lovers of literature. Welcome to another another orgy that is <laughs> literary London. Um, and I'm outside at the moment. Nice, turned out nice again. I'm outside. I'm outside the National Theatre, and I'm outside the National Theatre with Paul Owen, or to give him his proper kind of book name, Paul Tudor Owen. Hi, Paul. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. Well, thanks for getting in touch. I mean, we should just explain it, basically. We just kind of, we emailed, or you emailed me, oh, God, blimey, months ago, wasn't it? And I was at the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. And you've, you've got a new book out, um, which I've not actually read, in full disclosure. I've not read it yet, but, that, but that's sort of almost part of the fun. Um, so, and of course, you're a journalist as well. So just yeah. tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, this is my first novel. Uh, it's called The Weighing of the Heart. Um, I'm a journalist. I work for... The Guardian. Um, I've just come back after three years working in the New York office for The Guardian, uh, where I was the deputy head of U.S. News. Um, wow, that must have been a job. <laughs> it was. It was an amazing time. Uh, journalistically, you know, I went over there expecting a very boring uh, election with probably Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton and. Trump had other ideas and it was a really riveting and terrifying and exciting uh, period to, to have been over there. And so how long have you been back in the UK for? Uh, about a year, just over a year, yeah. So what started, let's go back to early Paul, if that's okay. So where are you from originally? I'm from Manchester, um, lived in Manchester for the first 18 years of my life. Um, then I went to Sheffield to university. Um, I studied American literature and American history and the third year of the course uh, was a year in America. So I um, went and uh, studied at the University of Pittsburgh for that year. Uh, and that was a very formative year, I think. Um, meeting uh, Americans who wanted to be uh, artists and musicians and actors and writers it really felt to me that that could be a realistic goal for the first time um, what did you read it what did you do at university uh, American history and American literature yeah um, and when I came back it sounded like quite a bohemian kind of environment that you've just described uh, it was it was great you know I think um, Pittsburgh has a very bad reputation in America and elsewhere um, its reputation, its nickname in the 19th century was hell with the lid off because of all the factories, the fire bl 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 blasting from the roofs. It's kind of reinvented itself and there is a really, um, or there was in, in my day, um, you know, a, a really strong theatre scene, uh, a really strong music scene and I really got into all that and, I, and um, joined a, um, a writing uh, group while I was there. Um, met lots of people who had a big impact on me. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm from Birmingham, you see. Birmingham's not got a very good reputation, either. <laughs> Peaky Blinders is helping. Right, yeah. But let's I'm not sure. talk about the accents. Oh, no, we won't go there. So what, what happened after that? Um, so I returned to, to Britain for my final year at, at, at Sheffield, and then after that I, um, I already wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write fiction, but I think that I understood that um, it would be very hard to make a living from doing that. So um, I sort of, I remember having a conversation with one, one of my university lecturers and thinking about um, other areas that I could go into as a career where I could use some of the same um, 
skills that I hope to use in writing fiction and um, I thought that journalism might be a good fit. Um, I moved down to London, I did a journalism uh, training course, I started on um, a local newspaper in um, northwest London, the Kilburn Times, and that was really an amazing, uh, you know, um, total immersion into, into journalism. I think, you know, there might be some parts of the country where when you start off on a local paper it's... Um, cat stuck up tree kind of thing but you know this was like uh murders and um you know uh, uh serious serious local issues there was a there was a huge by-election while i was there and all the sort of shadow uh, the, all the, the the cabinet and the shadow cabinet at the time came down so it, it was really um a brilliant introduction to to journalism for for, for me and um and eventually I managed to get a job at, at The Guardian um, and uh, that was about 15 years ago. I've worked there ever since. But all the time I've been working there, I've also been writing fiction in my, in my spare time. And um, uh, at last this year, um, things came together and, and um, this book, The Way of the Heart, uh, was published. So how did it... Well, let's, let's go back a bit. Oh, now, what should we do? We need to do a reading. Should we do a reading? Because I haven't read the book yet. I know, as I say, you know, with full sure. disclosure. Yeah. So just, just briefly tell us, because I want to talk a bit about your home life as well. And then, sure. and then I know there's going to be some... Uh, I've had some questions already uh, from people who are potentially writers and potentially journalists. Uh, so um, just tell us about the book. Yeah, I will. So um, the book is set in New York. Uh, it's about a um, young British guy who breaks up with his girlfriend and he moves in as a lodger with two rich older ladies in an opulent apartment on the Upper, um, upper East Side and uh, they have all these priceless works of art on the wall and together with the young woman who lives in the adjoining apartment um, he steals one of these artworks and it's an ancient Egyptian scene and uh, as the stress of the theft begins to work on him, the imagery, the ancient Egyptian imagery from the painting begins to come to life around him. And you're not clear, or meant to be not clear as a, as a reader, whether that's really happening or whether that's something in his own mind. So what would your genre be? <laughs> um, I think it's literary fiction. It's also got a crime element to it. I mean, I think, um, you know, to a certain extent, the author is probably not the right person to to assign a, a genre to their book, and I think um, you know if if crime fiction readers want to read this, then please do. I think you'll enjoy it. If literary fiction want uh, readers want to want to read it, please do. I, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, yeah, the more the merrier. Okay, that sounds great. And and what about the so uh, so that's that's the kind of the, we'll talk about the process about it. And and you've got because I, th I threw this at you earlier. There's a couple of readings you could do. Yeah, so sure. you do mind doing that? So, so we're outside at the moment, outside the National Theatre. It's not too chilly. If you hear the coffee cup clinking, that's me in the background. So <laughs> do you want to just set up the reading then? Yeah. So I'll I'll just read a bit from from the first chapter. Um, this is how the book starts. Sooner or later. Everybody comes to New York, and I was no exception. For me, it was art school that brought me over, and I left behind the brash primary colours of late 90s London, gladly and without remorse. Here I could reinvent myself, as others had before me, among the shining slabs of a city that seemed to have scale, 
where others only had size, where history was measured in the minutes rather than the centuries, where each of its 10 million inhabitants began their lives anew each morning when they awoke and pulled up the blinds. After college, I did everything I could to remain, winning a job and the work permit that came with it at the Bougainville Gallery in Chelsea, and spending the next few years living in a tiny apartment in Greenpoint with my girlfriend, Hannah, working together at the gallery each day and growing gradually further and further apart. In early spring, in 2011, things finally came to a head and I moved out for reasons I don't really want to go into here. I left and went to stay on the couch of a former colleague in whom I'd increasingly been confiding. His name was not Jeff, but I have to give him a name and Jeff will do as well as any other. Hannah's name wasn't really Hannah either. Jeff had two aunts who lived uptown in one of those huge late 19th century apartment blocks where wealthy families often take up a whole floor. Their apartment was enormous, sprawling, Jeff said, with an elegant roof garden looking out in a wide panorama over Central Park. But it was also ragged and unloved and slowly rotting away. His aunts only lived there two days a week, spending the rest of the time at their other home on Long Island. To make sure the place didn't collapse completely, they usually took in a lodger. And as luck would have it, Jeff told me, they needed one right now. Since I was desperate to find somewhere to live, he would take me round to meet them. We could see whether we hit it off. Far from being desperate to find somewhere to live, I was in fact quite enjoying my evenings in his apartment in Clinton Hill, watching reality TV with his witty and outspoken girlfriend Severin, whose parents had named her after the character in the Velvet Underground song Venus in Furs. But I'm a very suggestible person, and I must admit that as Jeff and I talked about it more, I found myself drifting off into an agreeable fantasy about life in that cavernous apartment a stone's throw from Central Park. The white whirl of the Guggenheim, visible from the living room window, MoMA, the Met. And I began to feel really quite excited about the whole idea. For the five days each week, when the Peacock sisters would be away, I would have the whole palatial penthouse to myself. And it was pleasant to feel, even in a vague and materialistic sense, that I'd be making some progress in my life after my breakup with Hannah, which I felt had set me back a step as the rest of my friends busied themselves, getting married, getting pregnant, getting comfortably settled in for the next stage of life. Brilliant. That's a very evocative uh, start as well. It, I mean, obviously I say some of you in that, but of course you've done the thing of going to America as well. And do, do you still find, uh, maybe it's my age now, but there's sort of a fascination with America and Americana in this country. Um, I, I definitely feel it personally and you know it's something that I think goes back to my teenage years um, reading The Great Gatsby and The Catcher in the Rye uh, watching Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and um, listening to you know anything from Simon and Garfunkel to Public Enemy conjuring up this this world of New York New York particularly um, and I think that that um, fascination partly led me to, to to write the book because when I when I wrote it, it was in a, a period in my life when I really wanted to move to New York and um, I started the book before I I moved there. So in part, writing the book was me acting out this fantasy of wanting to to live there. Um, I think that there's still I think that 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 feeling is is shared in Britain you know I think um, throughout the George 
Bush years, the shine came off America a bit in, in Europe, and I think that that's happening now with, with Trump, but I think that, um, that people recognize broadly that um, Trump does not represent all of America, and there's another America out there, and that's the America that I love. Well, yeah, I mean, I do a thing called the London Literary Pub Crawl that goes out through Soho and Fitrovia every week, and uh, we get a lot of Americans on that, and there haven't been that many Trump supporters without being too partisan. <laughs> They've obviously come over for the Charles Dickens and for George Orwell and stuff like that, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that might make sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so what, what happened right at the start? Let's go back to your early days. What, why are you writing? What made you a writer? Was your, were your parents writers? What was, what was home like when you were a kid? Uh, my parents were not writers, um, although they always encouraged me. Um, my mum uh, was an adult education teacher. Uh, my dad worked for the local council. Um, I think that they have always had always brought me up um, uh, to read a lot, and we always used to discuss books a lot, and and still do. And I think that as a as a kid, I would write my own stories, write comics, and it was always something that I felt that um, that I in, enjoyed doing. I felt this creative spark that I wanted to um, explore. Um, and then for a while, I was uh, in a band, and I was sort of expressing that a lot through music. Um, and I was still writing too, and I think I kind of came to a point, um, maybe in my late 20s, where I felt like I can't really, on top of a full-time job, I can't really pursue these two creative routes. And I felt that with the music, although I enjoy it a lot, I was not really getting near professional standard, but I felt like with fiction, if I worked harder, if I put enough time into it, I could get to that point. Yeah, what were you doing with the band? Were you singing or writing or what were your uh, instruments? I was, the, I was the singer and um, played rhythm guitar, um, yeah. What sort of stuff? Um, a little bit like New Order, um, yeah, uh, indie with a sort of electro side to it. And were you still in Manchester then? No, um, we formed that band at university at Sheffield and then um, kind of continued it uh, long distance with the members of the band living in, in um, different parts of the country for quite a while. Yeah, it's quite, I mean, I, I said it because I'm actually a member of Performing Rights Society. Oh, yeah. You may have heard of the song, it's a big hit in Yugoslavia, <laughs> Hollybank Road. Yeah, 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 okay, a lot of people have heard of that. <laughs> I get a cheque for £30 a year occasionally, you know, Great. And played on Bratis Farm. And like, well, absolutely, so. every little helps. Yeah, it does as a writer. And so, we, was going back to your home life again, was it comfortable? Was it, was it uh, happy? Yeah, it was happy for sure. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, um, Middle class, uh, middle class public sector upbringing in um, South Manchester in I guess uh, the 80s and and 90s. Um, yeah. Uh, so the writer thing was always with you then. You always kind of felt there was an itch to do, to do something creative or to write. I think so. I can't re I can't remember a particular time when I suddenly felt that I wanted to write. It feels to me like it was always there, that it came out naturally from when you're a child and you're set sort of um, 
writing tasks at school or whatever, it kind of always felt a, a natural progression to wanting to become a writer as, a, as an adult. Yeah, no, I kind of get that. Um, I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Resonance 104.4 FM. It's Literary London. We're talking to Paul Tudor Owen, uh, author, uh, journalist and author of The uh, Weighing of the Heart, a new book. <laughs> um, so and, and what's the one particular person? You know, a lot of writers will say, oh, I remember this teacher at school, or oh, I remember a mate of mine. Is there anyone in your life that kind of pushed you, pushed you at least? Or was it just your parents, as you were saying earlier? I think my parents were definitely a, 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 a big influence. And then I think, you know, throughout my sort of 20s and, and 30s, there were a number of friends who um, have been, um, you know, very uh, good and close readers of my manuscripts. Um, and that's been really important to me, and they they, they continue to to really help me when I've um, when I've got something new um, uh, to show them. And we've got to get to it because I know we've already had an in, uh, uh, an inquiry from Glenn in Whitechapel. He said, "What's your writing schedule? When do you write best?" I, I guess because you're working full time as well. But I'm thinking he's talking probably about the the, the literature. Yeah. Um, well, I, one thing I've found is that if I finish a day at work if I can just go to a secluded part of the office and try and write then for a couple of hours um, I'm still in that kind of productive frame of mind from work and I, I tend to get more done by just knuckling down to it at that moment than if I go home um, have something to eat maybe some household chores present themselves before you know it it's sort of eight o'clock and you're feeling too tired and so I've often I've often tried that and that's been that's been pretty effective um and the other the other time is just to try and get as much done in the week at the weekend as as I can during the day at, at the weekend yeah and what's how long do you write for said uh, Paula who's in uh, where is Paula in Chelsea how long do you write for? I think she means, is it two hours? Is it an hour? Is it, I, you know, the guy who invented the post box who used to write for 20 lines, whatever it was, every morning, and stop on the word 20, or stop on the 100th word. But I think that's what she means. It's de I definitely find it easier if I can um, get any tasks, errands, chores out of the way and, get, and then sort of free up as long a block of time as, as, as I can because find it really it, it takes me a while when I'm sit down to write it takes me a while to get into it so I really need a few hours at least to 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 properly be able to concentrate and and come up with come up with the goods you know um but I think you know I I haven't got kids and uh, I think some of this kind of <laughs> advice will seem quite ridiculous to anyone who does have kids and what do you think of the term uh, said Sydney who's in Fulham. What do you think of the term don't get it right, get it writ? Does that mean just write it down and, and worry about the details and how good it is later? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I do agree with that. And somebody else said something similar to me, which was um, you can't edit nothing. So, you know, just get something down and then you can come back to it, you can improve it, you can improve it. And I, I think actually my journalistic training has really helped with that because I think you know we work to such um, uh, exacting deadlines at, at, at work that um, 
I'm used to how, you know, I, I, I think that I can get from A to B, um, and maybe it's not the most beautiful or elegant piece of writing, but I can get it down. And then once it's down, you come back to it the next day or in a few days whenever you've got uh, a, a chance, it's much easier then to shape that into something that's worth reading. Okay, that's very interesting. We've got a few more, uh, few more questions that have come in as well. Um, I think what we might do there, because we're running, oh, we're going on a bit. If, if it's all right, we could do another session for next week. Sure, absolutely. All right, brilliant. And let's just, let's just mention the book again. So it's called The Weighing of the Heart, uh, and it's available from Obliterati? Obliterati Press, that's right. At all good bookshops? Yeah, at many good bookshops brilliant so thanks Paul we'll talk again uh, next week um, I'm Nick Henningham this is Residence 104.4 FM as always if you want to get in touch then probably the easiest way to do it is via email radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk if you're in central London tonight don't forget speakeasy cabaret Oh, it's a spoken word event, yes, I shall be there. Well, I shall be just there at the door, really, going, hello. Um, and we've got Greg Byron. Uh, his show is called Stand Up Comic. Uh, is it Stand Up? Stand Up Poets, that's right. Uh, Greg Byron got five-star reviews at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, and it's his only London appearance, I think. Um, he also gets very excited. He came last year as well. He had a poster in the toilets. He was very taken by that, he was. So if you're around at the Week Chief on Rathbone Place tonight from 7.30, be nice to see you. Failing that, I'll see you this time next week. I'm Nick Hennigan, this is Resonance 104.4 FM.